0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. They are also now fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, which is cbtseminary.com. Again, that is cbtseminary.org.
1: The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started.
0: In our last Spurgeon episode, we discussed Spurgeon's journey to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And before I move on, I forgot to introduce myself. So, as usual, Jimmy Johnson here with my co-host Austin McCormick, and as I already alluded to, we are continuing our series in Spurgeon's life. So, this episode... We are going to pick up where we left off, and last episode when we discussed Spurgeon's life, we we mentioned all the buildings that he had preached in and some of the significant events that took place in his early as well as mid-ministry, but now we're going to just continue on to the final part of his life. So with that said, Austin, could you discuss the ministries that Spurgeon began while he was at the Metropolitan Tabernacle.
1: Yeah, uh, during Spurgeon's ministry at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, he created a number of ministries. Actually, over 60 ministries were begun. Uh, Spurgeon's church used these ministries as social outreaches to evangelize the London area, and Spurgeon would actually fund some of these ministries Himself with the royalties that he would receive from the books that he had authored. And this allowed him uh, also not to be a financial burden to his church and uh, to be a, a blessing to the London area. Uh, one of the major ministries that Spurgeon founded was the Pastor's College. And many of our listeners, if they know Spurgeon, are probably very familiar with the Pastor's College. Um, Like I said, it was a ministry that Spurgeon uh, founded, but this was one that he would actually uh, fund with his book, Royalties. And he founded this in 1857. And the Pastor's College was precisely what it sounded like a college for pastors. Uh, Every Friday evening, Spurgeon would lecture uh, to his students over many different topics, uh, either in pastoral ministry, uh, Christian devotion, or preaching, and uh, you can still read these lectures today for yourself in Spurgeon's book titled Lectures to My Students. I'm actually working through Volume 2 right now on Logos. It's been an interesting read, Uh, but during Spurgeon's life, he had the privilege to see at least 900 students graduate from the college that he had founded, so you can imagine that this was rewarding for Charles Spurgeon. He was not only a pastor to the people in London, but in many ways, because of his teaching capacity at the Pastors' College, he had become a pastor to pastors. So this was one of the major ministries that Spurgeon uh, founded was the Pastors' College. Another one of his more well-known ministries was uh, the Orphanage. Uh, This was a ministry that Spurgeon could not afford to fund on his own. you can imagine how expensive it would be to pay for the daily living expenses for children, including food and shelter and water, etc. But uh, in the summer of 1866, five years after worship and preaching services had started at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Spurgeon challenged his congregation at its Monday evening prayer meeting with this exhortation: "Dear friends." We are a huge church and should be doing more for the Lord in this great city. I want us tonight to ask him to help us or to send us some new work. And if we need money to carry it on, let us pray that the means also be sent. Uh, a few days after Spurgeon uh, gave this exhortation, he received a letter from Mrs. Anne Hilliard, who was the widow of a Church of England clergyman, uh, she stated that she had 20,000 pounds that she wished to desire to use in establishing an orphanage for the training and educating of orphan boys, and she would ask Spurgeon for his assistance in this ministry. And uh, you can see that 20,000 pounds was necessary for the expenses of these children. So that was another major ministry that Spurgeon was involved in. And as we mentioned, there were over 60 ministries that he uh, began during his pastorate at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And another one of these ministries uh, w- that I'm going to ask Brother Jimmy to speak to was uh, his wife's book ministry, the uh, clothing ministry for poor ministers and their families. So, Brother Jimmy, would you speak to that ministry?
0: Yeah, I won't go into too much detail, but one thing that should be noted, as with many of the men that we discuss on our podcast, is these men weren't alone, and many of them were married, and Spurgeon, his wife, was married to his wife Susie, and Susie was very helpful in Spurgeon's own personal ministry. She was an encouragement to him. She loved him, and he he loved her very deeply. His wife actually, after burying their children, was pretty much restricted to the home most of the rest of her life. And but she was not inactive for the Lord and and would continue to read the scriptures, would read over Spurgeon's sermons or listen to his preparation. But one thing that she did and that she kinda of started and 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 really ran herself and and Spurgeon only assisted in a minor capacity in providing books to, to send to the ministers and things like that. But his wife started a book and clothes ministry for poor ministers and their families. She had a, a burden for those ministers that were all over the continent of London, or all over the country um, of England, rather. And so she just took to sending them books at first and began to receive donations of clothes as well as funds, so she would send clothes to ministers in need as well as to their children. That way those men who were ministering could continue in their churches and continue to serve the Lord faithfully. So we we see that Spurgeon was a a godly man and in respect to or in light of the woman that he married and the fact that she, too, was a very godly person and sought to see the kingdom of Christ expanded through the serving of ministers in this capacity. But with that said, let's continue discussing Spurgeon in particular. Spurgeon had a place in which he regularly took vacations. Austin, you want to Pick up and talk about Spurgeon's vacation place.
1: Yeah, so we've seen uh, some of the ministries that Spurgeon created. And as we move forward to Spurgeon's vacationing place, in 1871, Charles Spurgeon began his annual visits to his beloved vacationing uh, residence or uh, visiting place, which would be uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. I'm not well in my French pronunciation, but Mentone of southeastern France, uh, spelled M-E-N-T-O-N. Mentone is along the seashore of the Mediterranean Sea where Spurgeon would have had uh, opportunities to walk along the beach, uh, probably some scenery that he would not have uh, encountered if he would have always remained in London. So this would be a place where he could get away and uh, enjoy the fresh, fresh uh sense of the seashore breezes. Uh, It is also suggested that Spurgeon was advised to visit this warmer place due to the physical ailments that he was enduring uh, in his life in London. Uh, During Spurgeon's life, as our listeners probably know, uh, Spurgeon battled gout and uh, Bright's disease. Those were some of the physical uh, ailments that he went through, but we've also discussed some of the depression that Spurgeon went through in his life, and uh, some change of scenery could have potentially helped with some of these physical ailments in particular. Uh, The warmer beachfront of Mentone could have been a warmer climate compared to the rough winters uh, that he would experience in London. But nevertheless, uh, Spurgeon, when he was 45, began these annual vacations to Mentone and We'll discuss uh, later in the episode uh, why vacationing could be important for a minister.
0: Also, Austin, you want to discuss probably one of the, for those that know Spurgeon, probably one of the more well-known aspects of his life, and that is the downgrade controversy. So can you give us some background about what that was and what Spurgeon's part in it was?
1: Yeah, I will, and uh, we'll open this one up to some conversation. I'll introduce the topic, and then uh, I'll have you speak to it more also. Um, The downgrade controversy, as you mentioned, one of the most well-known events during Spurgeon's life. While Spurgeon was boldly preaching the gospel week after week in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, Charles Darwin began to teach his teaching of evolution. Uh, on November 24th of 1859, Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, was officially published, and uh, through the years following that, the teaching of evolution would quickly spread. Uh, so both Darwin's evolutionary theory and German higher criticism were, marked, or were marking an impact on the churches. Uh, many churches began to think of the Bible as a book of myths and fables instead of God-breathed scriptures. And because of this low view of the Bible, the divinity of Christ was under attack. Salvation by grace alone, through faith, was under attack. And the basics of the Christian faith were essentially being downgraded. And thus, we have the beginning of the downgrade controversy. In the late 1880s, this downgrade controversy finally reached the Baptist Union in which Spurgeon's church was involved. Uh, Spurgeon was deeply concerned by the direction that many of the churches in the Baptist Union were heading towards. And in response, Spurgeon would write many articles in his weekly publication, The Sword and Trowel, but sadly, it was to no avail. The churches were liberalizing, and they weren't listening to Spurgeon. So, during his own uh, denominations downgrade controversy in 1887, uh, he expressed alarming concern about the unorthodox views, and in 1887, with the utmost regret, Spurgeon withdrew from the Baptist Union. And uh, as you can imagine, this was a heartbreaking moment for Spurgeon's life. Spurgeon didn't enjoy controversy, as probably none of us uh, just enjoy controversy. This was a sad and sombering moment for the life of Spurgeon, that many of the churches were heading down a direction that he wasn't willing to go down, and that was liberalism. Uh, Brother Jimmy, why don't you speak to this uh, downgrade controversy a little more, since it is such an important topic?
0: Yeah, I just want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, because there has been some disagreement amongst historians um, about the nature of the debate or exactly what issues Spurgeon was having. But here are Spurgeon's own words. Our warfare is with men who are giving up the atoning sacrifice, denying the inspiration of Holy Scripture, and casting slurs upon justification by faith the present struggle is not a debate upon the question of Calvinism or Arminianism, but of the truth of God versus the inventions of men. Some modern people who look at the downgrade controversy, as, as well as some even during Spurgeon's day, accuse Spurgeon of trying to move the Baptist Union towards Calvinism, because the Baptist Union was actually made up of both particular—that is, Calvinistic Baptist—as well as General Baptist—that's more Arminian, free-will-type Baptist. But Spurgeon was not, in at least in his own words, trying to guide the Union into Calvinism. And instead, his main concern was ultimately over the inspiration— authority, and infallibility of the Bible, and then secondarily from that, the denial of core tenets of the Christian faith, like the deity of Christ, or, or justification by faith, or substitutionary atonement, because those of, who were being influenced by German theology or German liberal theology would, would accuse the atoning sacrifice of being immoral. They they would believe that Jesus was really not deity or divine, that he was a a human. Um and they would also say things that justification by faith itself makes no sense, and also like the atoning sacrifice is immoral. Many of them also would go on to to deny the Trinity itself. So Spurgeon saw these things rising up within the ranks or amid the Baptist Union and began to write against it. However, one thing that Spurgeon refused to do throughout the controversy as it related to the Baptist Union in particular is that he refused to name names, and instead he would just write vividly about the heirs themselves, assuming that most people already knew who he was talking about. And he even had friends who were within the, the polity of the Baptist Union or, or, or had more um, clout within the Baptist Union who had actually given him information. And these people were dear friends of his. But by the end of it, by the time he withdrew, many of those who he thought agreed with him—and and doctrinally, they actually did affirm much of what he did— But we're not willing to split up the union based on these doctrinal difference differences that Spurgeon thought were worth separating over. They they disagreed with him on that and even would kind of side with those who Spurgeon disagreed with. And this was probably the most taxing part of it is that some of Spurgeon's dear friends throughout the downgrade controversy actually turned on him. or at least that's how he, he perceived it. He perceived that they had turned on him, that they abandoned him, that they even sided with the theological liberals in order to, to cast shade on Spurgeon and his ministry, and, and followed suit in accusing him of things that Spurgeon himself denied. Tom Nettles writes that there were four basic reactions to Spurgeon's claims— the first one Ira discussed, they accused him of binding the union to John Calvin. A second group lamented that he had forgotten his natural gift of soul winning and succumbed to being a mere controversialist. A third judgment concluded that Spurgeon's sickness and age had caused him to be irrational and reactionary. So basically, there were some that were just saying that Spurgeon is old and irrational and outdated uh, a fourth reaction which s- served to confirm Spurgeon's claims concerning the entire situation stated that Spurgeon's theology was out of date and harmful to the progress of modern mentality so there was a lot of shade being thrown at Spurgeon and and that that didn't that affected him to the core. I mean, when when he went into these conflicts, because some of these people had formerly been friends or acquaintances and, and comrades in ministry were now accusing him of being too old or accusing him of being irrational. But another aspect of the downgrade controversy didn't only have to do with the Baptist Union. It, it also had to do with Spurgeon's College, which was obviously very dear to his heart too. There was a conference that would meet regularly at at the pastor's college, those who, who graduated and who were a part of it, and there had been factions within it who had also succumbed to the modern theology. And, and Spurgeon, lamenting over this, decided to take action and wanted to put a basis or a statement of faith in place for the conference, which would actually end up, in doing that, many, though not most, would actually refused to go to the conference, from thereafter the conference reconstituted with those who agreed with Spurgeon, and those who didn't agree with Spurgeon, either his procedure or his doctrine actually stopped coming. So that also was a byproduct of the downgrade controversy. But what we see in Spurgeon throughout this entire controversy is he he really didn't desire to to defame anyone. That's why he didn't mention names. He he didn't desire to be a controversialist, even those, even though people accused him of it. But what we see is he he really believed and and had a firm conviction that there are core doctrines to the Christian faith that are non negotiable. And and what he had hoped for the Baptist Union, what he actually ended up bringing to fruition for the Pastors' College Conference was that there would be a statement of faith that was adhered to and supported among these entities so that the core doctrines of the Christian faith would be affirmed. The Baptist Union had only one proposition for doctrine in in order for someone to remain within it, and that is that it is an association of of those who believed in baptism by immersion. which could be either a theological liberal or or one who held to the evangelical calvinism that that Spurgeon himself held to or or an arminian which Spurgeon had much fellowship with arminians even though he disagreed with them so though the downgrade controversy was not a very long period of spurgeon's life it, it's dated around 1887 through 1889 it was a very difficult time for Charles Spurgeon, and in the end, I would say it contributed greatly to his his depression as well as some of the physical ailments that he would have later on in ministry. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add to that, Austin?
1: I do not have any further thoughts on the downgrade controversy. I'm grateful for how you covered it uh,
0: another thing to mention that we we actually didn't mention I don't think in any of them any of the podcast on Spurgeon is that Spurgeon was also an abolitionist and and that that did cause some flack with how Baptist in the South viewed him but since we we don't have that in our our notes I I, I don't want to go further into that but You can read about that in Tom Nettles' biography. But with that said, Austin, you want to go and talk about Spurgeon's last sermon, his
1: death, and his funeral? Yeah, uh, I will summarize what uh, his last sermon consisted of in Jason Bradley's words. Uh, Jason Bradley writes in an article uh, concerning Spurgeon's last sermon, On June 7th of 1891, Charles Spurgeon stood before the congregation gathered at London's Metropolitan Tabernacle and began his Sunday message with these words, Those who associate themselves with a leader must share his fortunes. Spurgeon's brilliant message equated the spoils shared by David's men with the spoils we share through our affiliation with Christ. But to those associated with the Metropolitan Tabernacle, this message would go on to hold special significance. Unbeknownst to anyone at the time, this would be Spurgeon's last sermon. So Spurgeon's last sermon was simply uh, encouraging his congregation, the Christians within his congregation, to partake of the uh, spoils that... Christ partook of, to be righteous as Christ is righteous. Uh, Spurgeon's last sermon was a sermon preaching of Jesus, and uh, his sermon began in many ways, or ended, excuse me, in many ways like it began, preaching of Christ. And his sermons throughout the years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle were marked by sermons preaching of Christ. And so any minister's last sermon that is preached of Christ, I say, is a good sermon and a uh, something to be thought of well. So that was his last sermon on June 7th of 1891. His death actually occurred around six months later. On January 31st of 1892, Charles Spurgeon passed away. Uh, he died at just 57 years of age, and to many of us that would seem like a very short life. And according to Michael Reeves, Spurgeon had been fighting health illnesses for around 24 years up to his death. Uh, Spurgeon may have died young, but he was freed from the physical pains that he had been enduring. Spurgeon would spend his last days under the sun in Montone near Nice or Nissy, depending (laughs) on your French pronunciation, in the the southeast of France. And if you were listening earlier in the podcast, that was the location of Spurgeon's vacationing place. He would spend his last days on earth on the place where he would annually vacation to. Uh, Mentioning Spurgeon's funeral... When Spurgeon died in 1892, London began to mourn the loss of the Prince of Preachers. Nearly 60,000 people came to pay their respects to Spurgeon while he lay in his casket for three days at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, Around 100,000 people lined up the streets as a funeral, uh, paraded two miles from the Metropolitan Tabernacle to the cemetery where Spurgeon would be laid. And out of respect for Spurgeon, flags were at half-staff, and shops and pubs were closed, and this was the end of Charles Spurgeon's life.
0: What are some reflections or applications that you have of this last stage of, of Charles Spurgeon's life in ministry, Austin?
1: Yeah, and feel free to add to this, brother Jimmy. But just here's some uh, reflections and applications that I have when thinking through the topics that we've discussed today. And the first one is that ministers need physical rest, and uh, I'll go ahead and add mental rest for that. Uh, for that fact, uh, we see that when Spurgeon was 45 years old, that he began his annual vacationing and Uh, From some biographies that I have uh, skimmed through, there is speculation as to Spurgeon's life being uh, prolonged because of his physical rest that he would find in Mentone. Um, And uh, if a minister is doing the work that they have been called to biblically, and if they are faithfully ministering to Christ's people and to Christ's ministry week after week after week. Uh, It can become exhausting, and uh, I've had some pastors advise to me that uh, if you are exhausted, you can't help your people very well. Uh, When Brad uh, Brad Webb was on our podcast, he said something that has stuck in my mind. Uh, Sometimes the best thing that a minister needs is a nap. And more than that, maybe sometimes the best thing that a minister needs is a vacation away from ministry. So uh, I would say that ministers need to have physical and mental rest, and Spurgeon's vacationing is a good example of that. Another reflection and application that I think we can draw from the life of Charles Spurgeon is stand firm to biblical truth during theological controversies. And uh, we discussed the downgrade controversy that Spurgeon went through, all the accusations, the personal accusations that uh, were charged at him. But Spurgeon was standing firm on the important theological issues, as you mentioned: justification by faith, substitutionary atonement, uh, grace alone through faith alone, the divinity of Christ. These are essential truths that we must stand up for, even during controversy. Uh, I had another preacher once tell me that in ministry, you need to choose your hill to die on. and uh, I really like those words, and I believe that all of these doctrines that Spurgeon was standing up for were hills to die on because they are essentials to the Christian faith. Uh, I can think of many examples of people that have bowed to the controversy and allowed uh, other influences to determine what they will say or think. And I'm grateful for Spurgeon's example that he would uh, take personal heat to stand up for biblical truth. So to our listeners and to you and me, Jimmy, may we be uh, men and women of God that stand up for biblical truth during theological controversies. And, uh, The last thing I want to mention is that we should finish well. I know that many people look at the life of Charles Spurgeon, and they see this downgrade controversy at the end of his life, and um, some people use it as a way to diminish the end of his ministry, but uh, for the theologically conservative, I think this is uh, more evidence that Spurgeon finished his life well. Spurgeon's ministry when he was young grew rapidly, and I'm sure that there were things that he went through that maybe he didn't even write about or people don't know about, but uh, by the success of his early ministry, it seems as if there was not as many hardships at the beginning of his ministry than there were at the end, and including the physical ailments, the mental depression that he went through, we mentioned uh, some of the depression that was brought about because of the stampede at the Surrey Gardens Music, music Hall, uh, Spurgeon endured a lot, but he ran his race well because he knew what lay before him. So, uh, I hope to run my race well, and I hope that you also, brother Jimmy, and our listeners that are Christians, would finish their race well, uh, no matter what life throws at us. That we would stay close to Christ all the way to the end. So these are some of my reflections that I've had. Uh, Brother Jimmy, do you have any reflections that you want to add to that?
0: The only thing I have to add is one thing that we see in Spurgeon's life that we see particularly in his sermons and in his writings is to keep Christ at the center of all things. Like Spurgeon was a Christocentric preacher. All his sermons, Christ was preached in them. And, and all of his writings, Christ was proclaimed. That doesn't mean that Spurgeon didn't expect or, or, or didn't believe that people should not change morally through their union with Christ. To the contrary, he, he affirmed both the law and the gospel and, and the distinction between them and, and affirmed the third use of the law. But at the end of it all, Christ was our, our sure foundation and hope in life, and in death. And and I think that's important not only for pastors to keep at the center, but for Christians, period, to keep at the center. But with that said, we have discussed in several parts the life of Spurgeon. Much more could be said about Spurgeon, much more detail could have been given, but through these episodes we've tried to give a truthful account of Spurgeon's life and ministry and and reflect and apply it to our own life. This episode of the Covenant Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. Additionally, they are recently accredited. Stay tuned for more information about that, or rather, go back and listen to our episode with Rex on CBTS to learn more about them, to learn about what they're doing, to learn about what they value, and how you might either participate in their education or, or contribute to it for the, the, the betterment of gospel ministry. In Baptist churches. You can learn more about CBTS at cbtseminary.org. Again, that is cbtseminary.org.
1: Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.